working our way through the book of Romans, I always want to try to remind us where we're coming from and where we've gone to. There's, there's four principles we're going to look at. And so far we have uh, broached three of them. We're in the midst of the third principle. And as you look at the book of Romans and we begin to study through it, we find each principle logically leads to a question, and that question logically leads to the next principle. Let me show you what I mean. Remember we started Romans 1, 2, and 3 with the problem. What's the problem? That we are condemned. Condemned men and women. According to Romans 1, 2, and 3, we are guilty of offending God, of hating Him. The one thing that God is looking for from His creation is that His creation would love Him, But we have responded in hatred toward God. That's what sin is. Hating God. So so God has been offended. So when we come to the end of of chapter 3, okay, we recognize, I'm guilty, now what? And then it begins. But God. But God, the scripture tells us, so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe in Him would what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. So, we know. What did God do? He did the miracle of justification. So right there, from chapter 3 through chapter 5, we start to talk about justification. That is, faith in the finished work of Christ accomplished on the cross, whereby He paid my penalty. He paid the penalty for sin. And so, by faith... He covers me. When I put my faith in Him, when I receive the gift He's offering, He's offering the gift of justification, He's offering the gift of salvation. When I receive that gift, He covers me. Now below that covering here on earth where we live with each other, we're still messed up, right? Everybody knows we're still messed up? I hope you guys still know that because it's pretty... It's not really hard to find. So, but we have His covering so that when God sees us, the blood of Jesus Christ, right? The blood of Jesus Christ makes us, each one, man, woman, and child, in faith, in Christ, it makes us just men made perfect by His sacrifice. That's justification. Now, we come to the end of justification and it says, well then, if you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and it's all Him who gives you all your righteousness... And it is none of the law. If you remove the law, don't men just become lawbreakers? Don't, won't we say, let us sin so that grace can abound? And that leads us to the third principle. The third principle tells us why justification, being made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, doesn't lead us into a life of sin. But it leads us into a life, a loving God. And we're going to see that love always does more than the law requires anyways. We look at sanctification and we recognize that in sanctification, when we are, we have died with Christ. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. So when I died with Christ, immediately when I died with Him, I was united to Him. When I died with Christ, I was united to Him. So He lives in me. 
The point of sanctification is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Jesus is in you, changing your desires. That Jesus is in you, working out your salvation. For it is He who works in you, both to will and to do, for His good pleasure. Jesus is in us. That is the idea of sanctification. That's where we find ourselves, in that third part. And as we look at Romans chapter 7, as we finish chapter 7, we won't finish it today, but when we finish chapter 7, we will then move on to the the final principle that we're going to see in Romans. And so, as we look at it, Today, we're looking at our relationship. What's our relationship to the law? What is our relationship? If the law doesn't make me holy, if the law doesn't save me, then what is my relationship to the law? What is it that that Paul is declaring to us as we take a look? So let's take a look at chapter 7. We'll take a look 1 through 3. Let's look together. Or do you not know, brethren... For I speak to those who know the law. Let's just pause there for a minute. Paul is talking to believers, because he said, Do you not know brethren? But then he clarified, he's he's zooming in to a specific group of believers. To those who know the law. He's talking to Messianic Jews. He's talking to completed Jews. Jews who have come into faith. In the beginning of the church, there was a lot of that, right? When the church started, it was, it was a lot of Jews coming to faith. But slowly, that began to go out. We started to see Gentiles getting saved. Now, a Gentile never grew up under the law. He didn't know the law. He had to learn about that. But a Jew knew the law. So he says, it right in verse 1, he, he zooms into who he's speaking to. Do you not know, brethren, believers? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So he's going to lay out for us how the law works in our life. And he's going to give three things specifically. He's going to talk to us about the duration. He's going to talk to us about disobedience to the law. He's going he's to open our eyes to some of these things, but he's going to use an example. Now this example is an example of marriage. We can glean some important things that we can understand about marriage from the text, but the text is not about marriage. The text is about our relationship to the law. Okay? So all, it's a lot of times when we read sections like this, about and, it, and it's using as an example an area of the law, people want to get uptight and make it about marriage. It's not about marriage, it's about our relationship to the law. So don't let it mess your noodle up. Just think about it. This is about my relationship to the law. How's it work? So we see the duration of it right there in verse 1. That the law has dominion over man how long? As long as he lives. As long as he lives. So it lays out the duration. Look at verse 2. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So he te- he's telling us the duration. How long does the law rule over us? As long as we're alive. As long as we're alive, the law rules over us. So he, he's laying it out. We see that principle in marriage, right? Every marriage, every wedding that we do, uh, part of that marriage is that we're united together till death do us part, right? So that's the example that he's laying out for us. So, so I don't want to make it, I don't want to focus on, on the marriage part. I just want you to focus on the law part. So then we look at verse 3. So then, if 
while her husband lives, she marries another man, then she'll be called an adulteress. So he, he talks to us about what disobedience looks like. And disobedience simply is us not following or not doing what it is that God has called us to do. In, in disobedience, the idea, the act is unfaithfulness toward God's law. Whatever example we use, in this case, he uses marriage, but his focus is, this is what disobedience looks like. Disobedience is what happens when we don't uphold what the law lays out for us. But don't forget about the deliverance. The deliverance that the Scripture tells us follows. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So if there is death, there is freedom from the law. So this is the example. First three verses. The example of marriage. Death. Or, uh, um, the law has dominion over us as long as we're alive. Disobedience is being unfaithful to God, but deliverance happens when someone dies. When someone dies, they're delivered from the law. The law no longer has power over that individual. So then let's take a look at verse 4. So he goes on to make his point. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, the verses you guys ought to know, uh, if you haven't committed it to, to memory, it's a great one to commit to memory. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So Galatians is laying out that same concept. Remember, the law rules over you until you die. But if I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I died with Him at the cross. So the law holds no power over me anymore. And here's what I want you to begin to see. I want you to begin to understand, and we'll really see it tied up in verse 6, that as we look at what the Lord is laying out through Paul here, He wants us to recognize that here's what the law did. The law works externally. The law is outside of you. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, He takes up residence within us. Now it works internally. So we don't need the external pressure of the law. We just need to surrender to the internal desires that Jesus Christ has placed within us. See, that's what it means to be free from the law. That's why freedom from the law doesn't mean I just go around and sin whatever I want to. No, I'm not going to go around and sin and do whatever I want because, because a dead man doesn't sin. He doesn't do too much else either. But a dead man doesn't sin. Isn't that one of the things that we saw as we began in chapter 6? So we have become dead to the law. Not because I died, but because Jesus Christ died for me. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave what? His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God, seeing the condemnation on man, the sin nature on man, the failure of man, the brokenness of man, sent His Son to take all of that 
for all of creation upon Himself that He would die and we could die with Him. It's a substitutionary death that He died once for all. Now there's... As we're going through Romans, I'd encourage you guys in your private devotion, there's a couple other books you're going to want to read. Galatians and Hebrews. They both deal with a similar subject. As we work our way through in Romans, you'll see those things tying together. So I, I encourage you guys to do that as you read. But I want you to understand that, that through death we are released from the penalty of the law. Through Christ's resurrection, we are empowered... To overcome the power of the law. Look, listen to what Paul wrote for us in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. It's a familiar, in fact, we sang it today, uh, but it's a familiar, or we're going to sing it. Well, you guys know what I mean. Um, it's a familiar scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. Here's what it says. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now when we talk about salvation, justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is being saved from the power of sin. So the fact that we are not under the law is vital to our sanctification, our being made holy. We no longer need the external forcing change from outside in. All we need is Jesus Christ inside, changing us from the inside out. Are we together? So that is the work of sanctification that, that He's doing in our life. And so He's trying to relate to us. Well then, how is it that we, that we relate to the law? How do we relate to it? Well, let's look again at verse 4. So you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Why? That you might be married to another. Now, in case we're wondering who it is that we're to be married to or unified with, we're to be married to Him who was raised from the dead. So the second part of verse 4 that it's laying out is that we're to be married to another. We are unified with Christ. He becomes a part of us. Through faith, He justifies, saves us from the penalty of sin by dying for us. Through His resurrection and His eternal life, He moves within us. And He sanctifies. He's working inside. We're unified with Christ. I can't sin anymore if I'm unified with Christ. I will never be satisfied in a life of sin with Christ standing beside me. It's impossible. The only way to be satisfied in a lifestyle that, uh, of sin, habitual sin, the only way to be satisfied is not to have Christ with you. And if you're justified, you're unified together with Christ. So if you're saved and Jesus is in you, you cannot be satisfied in a life of sin. You can't be. It's, it's, it's not possible. The same God who justifies you and saves you from the penalty lives inside of you and is making you holy so you can't stay in it any longer. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? It's not possible. We can't stay in that place. We have been unified to another, to Jesus Christ. And when we talk about being unified together with Jesus Christ, please understand, that's internal. Right? It's not external. So, so our relationship that we have, the unifying with Christ, pictured here by the concept of marriage, that unification is not external. It's not that God's in heaven somewhere throwing lightning bolts. It's that God lives inside 
of my heart. That God lives in me. I'm unified together with Him. He is all satisfying. He's everything that I need. He's eternal. He's not going to die again. How long does the law have rule over you? As long as you're alive. And if you died with Christ, and you're unified together with Jesus Christ, so once we were unified with a sin nature, we died, that marriage is broken, we're able to marry another, be unified with Christ, how long will we be unified with Christ? As long as He's alive. He's not going to die again. So how long is that? So that's forever, right? That's eternal life. It's Him. It's His work that He accomplishes within us. So what's the purpose? Why is it that He comes in? Look at the last part of verse 4. The last part of verse 4 says that we should do what? Bear fruit to God. That we should bear fruit to God. Well, that that is... The key, really, of understanding sanctification. Because Jesus Christ, living inside of you, begins to work on your desires. He begins to work on your attitudes. He begins to work on the choices that you make and the actions that you take. He begins to change us from the inside out so that that becomes our fruit, not tinsel. Tinsel? What's that got to do with anything? Well... Tinsel is what you put on the tree to make it look pretty. Fruit is what the vine puts on the tree to show it's alive. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if the branches abide in the vine, they will do what? Bear fruit. What is that fruit? The change inside of me. My choices, my attitudes, my actions, the things I'm doing, the things I'm saying. The person that I am is being changed from the inside. And as that change occurs, bloop, fruit just comes popping out. I didn't do nothing. I just stayed attached to the vine. Sanctification is not something you do. It's something Jesus Christ did and is continuing to do in your life. We have to recognize, understand, and see the beauty of that purpose. Well, now he's going to contrast that, okay? He's, he's given us a picture of sanctification, and then he's going to give us a picture of the old life, and, he, and he's going to make a comparison, right? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law. They were at work in our members, or in our bodies, to bear fruit, So on one hand, you have Jesus Christ living inside of us, empowering us, being unified with us, changing our desires, our attitudes, our actions, and working a work of holiness from the inside out. On the other hand, we have the flesh. We have the flesh. And, and, And the work of the flesh and the fruit of the flesh leading to death. On one hand, you have fruit leading to life. On the other hand, you have fruit leading to death. The comparison of what life was like without Christ and what life is like with Christ. Well, just turn the page. Go to Romans 8. And I want to show you, because Romans 8 gives a picture-perfect illustration of what the flesh looks like. So when we say, I was in the flesh, I I want you to recognize and see what that is. So Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7 says this, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal, fleshly, same word, sarks. 
It means fleshly. The fleshly mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So look at the, the, the four things that we know about someone who's in the flesh. Their mind is on the flesh, is hostile toward God. That's what it means. They have enmity with God. They're at war with God. So when I was in the flesh, I'm at war with God. I'm at war with Him. The second thing it tells us is that, they, that I do not, in my flesh, subject myself to the law. I don't. Look, I may live a relatively decent life until you tell me I have to do something. And as soon as you tell me I have to do something, I don't want to do it anymore. You want to see people fish where they're not supposed to? Put up a sign. Do not fish. Someone will walk up to that sign and say, what's that sign there for? That sign didn't used to be there. Oh, they got big fish in here. Mom. Anybody, you watch out and we'll fish and see if there's any fish in here. It's how sin comes alive in the body to bring us to a place where we sin, where we make those choices in life. So it's not subject to the law. In fact, it goes on to say, nor indeed can it be. It can't even begin to be subject to the law. Because it's in rebellion against God. And the fourth thing is it is utterly unable to please God. In the flesh, you cannot please God. So when verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, I want you to recognize what that looks like. When we were in the flesh, we were at war against God. We were not subject to the law of God, nor indeed could we be subject to the law of God. And it was impossible for us to please God. And in that state, sinful passions... You remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago... There's nothing wrong, the word passion or desire in your life. There's nothing wrong with that desire unless it's captured by your sin nature and distorted. And if it's captured by your sin nature and distorted and you follow it, it becomes a sinful desire. If that desire is held by Jesus Christ, it is a desire that leads to life. If it's a desire that's held by your sin nature, it is a desire that leads to to death. So when we were in the flesh, we just had sinful desires. Because we didn't have Jesus Christ within us. And the only fruit that we bore in those days was a fruit that led to death. It led to destruction. So the, com- the comparison between those two. But then look at verse 6. But, now he brings it around full circle. But now, we have been delivered from the law. The power of sin is the law. We've been delivered. We've been delivered by the fact that Jesus Christ lives in me. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, when I receive that gift that He's offering to me, He lives in me. If Jesus doesn't live in you, you don't have Jesus. If Jesus lives in you, Then He begins working from the inside out. We have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. Isn't that what He says? For what purpose? Why is it that we have died to the law? What is the purpose then? We've died to the law. The law holds no sway over us. So what is our purpose? What is our relationship then to the law? He tells us in our last sentence of verse 6, 
Look what he says. He says, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. We should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Folks, that points exactly straight back to the new covenant. So we're going to take a detour. We're going to go take a look at the new covenant. We're going to take a look at it. Before we do, I'm going to show you why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, the Bible says this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Why? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Jesus comes into us to make us sufficient. He comes into us to grow us up. He comes into us to mature us as believers. So that we can serve. Not in the letter, but in the Spirit. Not according to the law, but according to the Holy Spirit working within us. Well, take a look at it. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, 31 is the first place we see the new covenant listed out. It's the first place we see the new covenant kind of spelled out for us. So we'll take a look there and then we'll bounce over to Ezekiel. And then we'll come back to Romans and you guys will be at lunch before you know it. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. Well, Jackie, that says the new covenant is not for us. Well, what it says is that Jeremiah was telling a divided nation, Israel and, and Judah were divided, Jeremiah is telling them, God's going to bring you together under a new covenant, a new promise. And since the word of God declares to us, that everyone who is of faith is of the children of Abraham, then we become a part of the promise. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. They apply. So we look at the new covenant. The new covenant. He's going to make a new covenant in those days, verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Well, what covenant did he make then? Well, that's the law. He took them to Mount Sinai. He spoke to them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the, the building permits and plans for the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. He showed them the old covenant. He gave them the promise. If you keep this, I will bless you. If you break this, I will curse you. That's the old covenant. That was the old covenant that the Lord laid out. But look what else it says. My covenant, in verse 32, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. This is not going to be the new one. Look at verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, where does it say? Is that internal or external? So it's not an outside pressure, do this, do this, do this. 
It's an inward desire. Right? He's going to change your desires. Look at it. I will write my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. Why does he separate those two things? I'll put it in their mind. To me, in the mind, that's going to become a desire. In the heart, I'm going to write it on their hearts. They're going to love to do it. What does it say in 1 John? 1 John tells us that if we love the Lord, we will keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not trouble. They're not a problem. They're response because we love God. And God lives in us. And God's changing me from the inside out. I'll write it on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. We learn that it's going to move. The new covenant moves from an external commandment to an internal change of desire. An external demand to an internal desire. God's going to put His desires in you. He spoke about it in Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is the promise of the new covenant. Look what it says, verse 34. No more will every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. No longer will knowing the Lord be an external demand. Know me. But it will be an internal reality based on the Spirit of God living inside of you and me. You don't have to command me to know the Lord. I know Him. He's living in my life. He's in my heart. He's in my soul. No longer will they command externally. And the foundation from which it all springs is this last phrase in verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So, so, so think about it. The new covenant is God providing a way. Over and over he says, I will. He doesn't say you will, right? He says, I will. He says, I will wipe away all your sin. I will give an experience of personally knowing Him from the inside out by the Spirit. I will implant in you my law. Your desires are going to change. And you'll respond to those desires out of love. But you notice Jeremiah doesn't say anything about the Spirit. Not specifically. So to find that, we we go to Ezekiel. See, Ezekiel wrote about the New Covenant as well. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20, Ezekiel said this, Then I will give them one heart. The problem for the nation of Israel, I probably don't have time. The problem for the nation of Israel, for most of their life following God, was they had two hearts. With one heart, they wanted to please God and live for Him. With the other heart, they wanted to live for themselves. When the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, what it's saying is David had a unified heart. He had one heart. One desire. To follow the Lord. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, 
I'm going to give them one heart. Because if you look at the Old Testament, guys, the Holy Spirit did not do what the Holy Spirit does today. The Holy Spirit came upon the heroes of the Old Testament and empowered them to do what nobody else could do. But the regular man living under the Old Covenant could only do his best to walk by faith and believing that there was a day coming, yet future, when there would be a sacrifice that would make all other sacrifices unnecessary. There was a day coming, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit like the church has the Holy Spirit today. I will give them one heart, and look what it says, and I will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? So that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They will be my people and I will be their God. God said, I'll put my spirit in them. They can't do it now. So God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to pay the penalty, to remove the power, and to place His Holy Spirit within the life of everyone who comes to Him by faith. Everyone. Ezekiel goes on to tell us in verse or chapter 36. Just flip a couple chapters over. Chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Sound familiar? We just read almost the same thing, right? I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, God says, I, they can't do it. They want to do it. The, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. So God, in salvation, through sanctification, puts His Holy Spirit in us. We don't need the law. Because we have the love of God living inside of our hearts. And love always does more than the law requires. Love always will do more. So when does the new covenant start? What was the point in which God said, there it is. There's the new covenant. Well, we see the starting point in Luke twenty-two twenty. Jesus tells us when it's going to begin the night before. He tells us the night before, Luke twenty-two twenty. Jesus at the last supper says, likewise, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the new covenant began by the blood. The new covenant began at that moment. In my blood means everything about the new covenant exists in the blood of Jesus Christ. There are nothing in the new covenant. There is no statement that that says you shall. Or if you. The whole new covenant God says, I will, I will, I will, I will write it on their hearts. I will put my spirit in them. I will forgive their sins and their iniquity. I will remember no more. It's a work that God does of salvation that we can only come to and enter into by faith. 
and what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. It's by the blood. When Jesus died, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, just like Jeremiah said. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, just like Ezekiel said. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can personally know God by His Spirit working in our life. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, His law is now written on my heart and in my mind. His requirement, His call, His direction for me is placed in me, not a demand from outside but a desire from inside. That desire, God's enablements, God's commandments, are God's enablements. He empowers us to do whatever it is that He asks us to, that he asks us to do. So what does it mean being under the new covenant? And what we see in Romans 7, 6, that we're to serve by the Spirit. Not by the letter. Not according to the old covenant, but according to the new. In, by, through, the Holy Spirit working within us. That's how we should function. So what's he telling us? My life has been blood bought. Jesus Christ bought me. He bought me. I'm his. All, lock, stock, and barrel. Good, bad, and the ugly. He's got it all. In fact, Hebrews tells us in in chapter 13, verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, just listen to this, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. Do you hear what he's saying? Let me back up. Now may the God of peace, who raised Jesus from the dead, The God of peace, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, who through the blood has entered us into an everlasting covenant, He makes you complete. He makes you complete. For every good work. He does it from the inside out. Listen, working inside of you, what is well-pleasing in His sight. He's working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, by buying my life with His blood, He is perfecting me from the inside out for every good work. It's not about what the law demands externally. It's about what Jesus Christ empowers for internally. And to be justified is to be sanctified. You can't be justified and not sanctified. Or you're not justified. If you're justified, saved from the penalty of sin, then you're sanctified. Jesus is in you, working you into a new creation. So I can't just live... And known sin. I can't do it. Jesus is in me. Jesus won't do it. So that sanctification is working. My freedom from the law is because of what Christ did at the cross. 
Remember Romans 7, 6, what did it begin with? But now we have been delivered from the law. All my sins have been forgiven. All. He says, I will forgive all their iniquity. All means, we don't got to do this, right? All means all, and that's all that all means. All doesn't mean most. All doesn't mean some. All means all. Past, present, future. I will for all my sins are forgiven. We have a new spirit within us. The Holy Spirit enters the life of the believer at the time, at the moment of salvation. <clears throat> when you are born again, He moves in. Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens the door, what's he do? I will come into him. And I will sup with him and he with me. That's relationship. I will sup with him and he with me. Puts a new spirit within me. Now I know the Father like I could never know the Father before. That's why Paul says, the natural man can't understand the Word because it's spiritually discerned. But now I know the Father because I have His Spirit within me. And His Spirit is guiding and leading and directing and opening my eyes so that I can know completely. And now the law of God, the requirements of God, the will of God is written on my heart. He puts those desires in me. And those desires, I don't want to be in that anymore. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to be doing what God wants me to do. So listen, in our relationship, our relationship to the law, let me wrap it up like this. When I stumble and fall off of the path of love, I don't look to the law to complete me. I don't look to the law to do or be the remedy for my failure. To be the solution The law was not designed to provide righteousness for my justification or power for my sanctification. I don't look to the law. I look to Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves me from the penalty of sin and the power of sin enables me to fulfill the law. Look, you guys got... Romans opened up. Just flip a couple pages over to Romans chapter 13. And, and, uh, and we'll pray. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Just like when we began in chapter 7, I said, chapter 7 begins with an example of marriage. It's not intended to be a section about marriage. We can glean things about marriage from it. But what it's intended to be is an example of our relationship to the law. That we are only to the law as long as we live. But if we died with Christ, we're set free from the power of the law. Now Jesus Christ works in us to make us uh, pleasing to God. Well, when we come to, to Romans chapter 13, a lot of people want to use this section to, to point to us not having any debt. Now look, I'm not a person who says that uh, uh, having debt is a good thing or not having debt necessarily is a good thing. But that's not the purpose of this verse. The purpose of this verse is to tell us how we fulfill the law. Listen to it. It says in verse 8, chapter 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law.
for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let me tie it together for you. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, love moved in. I didn't have love in me before. I had a lot of other things. But the Bible tells us, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that God is love. Love moved into my life. And now, love does more than the law requires. Love won't take advantage. Love doesn't rip somebody off. Love, read 1 Corinthians 13 and lay it all out for you, right? Love lives in me. Remember Romans chapter 5? We glory in tribulations because tribulation produces patience and patience, character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint for the love of God is poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. I don't need the law anymore outside because I have the Holy Spirit inside. So when I'm justified, I don't go into a life of sin because I don't have the, the list of do's and don'ts hung over me. I don't need the list of do's and don'ts hung over I have God inside me. It's not external demand. It's an internal desire. The question for us, do you desire to do what God wants? Do you hear His desires inside of you? Do you plug your ears and scream when God says, Turn away from this. Go away from that. It is possible, church, to have a head knowledge of what God is offering you. And never have the Lord in your heart. The Bible says, does not say, believe in the Lord with all your mind. The Bible doesn't call us to believe with our head. The Bible calls us to believe with our heart. To love the Lord your God with all heart. Mind, body, soul, the whole kit and caboodle, right? To love the Lord our God with all that we have. When we do that, when we do that, it's so exciting. Because now my battle with sin is over and and fighting all that stuff. I've been set free from the power. I've been set free from the penalty. So I don't have to have a tally sheet that says, Oh, not so good, not so good. Oh, that was pretty good. Oh, that's not so good. No. All i got to do is focus on Christ. I got one thing I do. One thing I do. Forgetting those things which lay behind. I press on. Toward who? Jesus Christ. Because of what He has laid on me. The call He has put in my life. 
the, the desire He has laid in my heart. I just got one thing I do. Jesus, give me more of Him, more of Him, and more of Him, and we'll be golden. He has got to be your treasure. Don't just know Him. Love Him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.